Hey everybody and welcome. You are listening to Lox LaRue's Locker Room. Join me each episode with a different special guest. We'll be breaking the locks off toxic masculinity one locker at a time. This week I'm joined by the multi-talented Reese Connolly. Reese is a writer, performer, theatre maker and artist. They also starred in the film A Werewolf in England. Today, me and Reese explore the link between creativity and femininity and talk about satire in art and film. Please note that the conversations between me and my guests are purely based on our own thoughts and experiences. Now with all that in mind, sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hello everybody and just before we start, here's a lesson in masculinity 101. In 1971, the British critic Raymond Dergnack observed the rationalist puritanism of some critics meant that they often disliked female-driven soap operas and the emotional vulnerability they stir up, but didn't object to what he smartly called the male weepy. Yet, surrendering to the weepy, whether male or female, and embracing emotional immediacy, he wrote, might be the beginning of maturity. Hi everybody and welcome to Lox LaRue's Locker Room. I'm joined here today by the lovely Reese. Hi Reese. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm pretty fabulous, thank you. How are you? I'm good. And just um, for the listeners, you can't see this, but we're both wearing yellow. So we're both bright and ready for this episode, aren't we? Yes, we both look resplendent and spring-like and yeah, summery and yellow. Yeah, and the sun's out too, so all good, all round. Everyone got the memo today, everyone got the memo. Yeah, hopefully when this is released, um, it will be nice and sunny as well, because um, it might not be, you never know, British weather. Yes, yes, well, that's it's tense, isn't it? And that's like, we like that. So um, could you tell us a bit about what it was like growing up for you first, just in general, um, and in, link it to like being queer and stuff like that? Um, I grew up in a very close family small but close very supportive of me and everything I wanted to do which is wonderful and I'm so lucky to have had that um I came out quite late in my life um I think I was about 20 21 20 or 21 when I came out I'm 27 now um and I'd already been with Josh who is my boyfriend for a year or so before I came out to my family and a wider friendship group but um I uh it was I knew it was never really going to be a problem which again very very lucky to be in that position I was still afraid of what because you never know but um all my family were very supportive of it if we move it from more of a creative angle because obviously there's a stereotype that boys just playing the mud and play sports and stuff um even from a young age but I was always like writing scripts and getting people to um do my plays in the garden and then I was part of like school plays always like the dramatic drama queen um ex- like extravagant character um so there was kind of like the stereotype of like and I was reading in this book lately about masculinity about um there's a femininity associated with like creativity so did you ever like experience that do you think if you can recall or yeah absolutely much the same as what you've just described It was always being creative, being into art or drama, um, being interested in clothes, the way you look. Um, It was all feminized. And a lot of that was me doing it because that was the way the world around me was viewing those areas. And that was therefore my perspective of it. 
And I was thinking about this before talking to you today, why that would be the case, especially because so much of the art world and acting world is so male dominated still. And yet those, I guess it's because it's the antithesis. Those things are the antithesis to playing sports and like you say, being very outdoorsy. Um, and I think all of the, you know, you can be physical and you can be creative, you can be outdoors and you can be creative, but generally that's seen as like, like you say, boys go out and eat worms in the garden and play football and get covered in mud and don't care, and don't care what they look like, don't care how they dress. And it's more girly to stay inside, in the home, and do things um, which are a little bit more delicate, I guess, and require skill. I don't know, it's, it's, it's so rife, it's so stupid, but it's a clearly defined system. It's as clearly defined as pink for girls and blue for boys, certainly when I was growing up. Um, but when you actually stop for a moment to unpack it, it's like, well, it's ridiculous. Mm. It's stupid. But I definitely felt the pressure, like, you know, obviously at school, getting into plays and stuff, which was really important for me, a big part of me becoming more confident because I was, I was cripplingly shy when I was young. So, so shy. I was that little kid who held the dinner lady's hand at lunch times and I didn't have a lot of friends because I was so socially awkward and finding drama and finding art and like being able to express myself without having to you know be myself um really helped me come out of my shell but the problem there is that you know there are people um it was always school mates never family they were always very encouraging of whatever um, but it was always schoolmates who would be like, you'd hear some derogatory stuff and you'd feel like you were being looked at in a derogatory way for choosing to go down that avenue as opposed to wanting to be on the football team or just chase girls or whatever. Yeah, well, I um, picked up from what you said as well about being shy, because um, even though people might not think it now from like my Instagram or seeing me perform, I, I am quite a shy person now, but I was even more shy at school. Like I, I would be afraid to like stick my hand up in class. I think one time I stuck my hand up in class to say something. I was like, I built up the courage. And then when I came to say it, do you know, when you come to say something and then it doesn't come out, you're like, I think that's good. Like, and then that was, I felt really embarrassed because <laughs> I was like, mm. I didn't contribute at all, but I was that shy and I, I still yeah. am a bit now. Um, but from a like, from a like creative or performing angle, I'm not that, not that shy. So could you tell us a bit about um, your art, especially sort of the, political side because I know that you did like um writing on one of them as well didn't you Ode to Boris so yeah yeah <laughs> my little poem about Boris Johnson my favorite person um he's not my favorite person I absolutely can't fucking stand him obviously uh <laughs> I've always drawn ever since I was a kid that was like my first creative outlet and I'm lucky that my family have kept all of my drawings from when I was a kid as well in big boxes in my old bedroom so it's I've all, I can see that I've always been super, that has always been a way for me to express myself and get what's in my head out onto the, out onto the page. And when I was at school and I was like studying for my GCSEs and A-levels, my notebooks, which I've also all kept, I would draw little cartoons and scenes as opposed to necessarily making notes because that's how my brain works. I'm a visual person. Um, and my writing is also very visual, if that makes sense. Like it's so much more about description 
um, and trying to paint an image in someone else's mind as I see it. Um, I fell out of drawing when I came to university because I just wasn't, I didn't have the time to do a lot of the, a lot of the time I was studying and, and working so much more on my writing and directing and acting. But it was actually this last year when I went back up home to the Northeast and I, this was during the first lockdown and the world was so, so crazy, it was so overwhelming, even more so than it continues to be. Um, and I had all my old art stuff, all my old pencils and, and notepads and I was in my old house where I would do all of my drawing when I was growing up. And I think a lot of people did stuff like this, like they, during the, the first lockdown and throughout the pandemic, you sort of latch on to something that gives you comfort and that reminds you of a better earlier time. And for me, that safety blanket, I hadn't even realised how important it was for me, but it was drawing. So I got, I got so back into it and that's, and that, that's remained with me now. And I've, I've, I, I draw pretty much every day. Um, uh, I do sort of mixed media. So I love drawing with pens and pencils and coloring with, with pencils, but I mainly am now doing digital stuff because it's faster and you can do so much more with it as well. And it looks so much more professional and stuff like that. Um, but I draw lots of different things just whatever's sort of in my head, I, I sit down. There's nothing more exciting than sitting down in the morning with a blank piece of paper in front of you on the computer and thinking what's gonna happen and then you end up drawing something and it's, I don't know, it could be an alien, it could be a monster, it could be a, a character from a story or a comic book that I might work on. And sometimes it's political, especially if it's something that's really, you know, it's a cathartic therapeutic thing when I draw. And it's interesting to look back on certain drawings and remember where I was at that time, because they're always a um, they're always an interpretation of something that I'm processing at that time, some idea or thought or or feeling. And then obviously the more obvious ones are like when I draw a tombstone with Donald Trump's name on as he's approaching the end of his presidency as well, all hoping that it will be the end of his presidency. And thank God that it was. But, you know, it's just. I don't know, it's just, a, I think it's the same for all people who are interested in satire. That's a way to get those frustrations out onto the page and put it in front of people as well. There is a lot of satire in that, isn't there? The film that you're involved in. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed it, by the way. <laughs> Thank you, I'm so glad. I was lucky enough through a series of circumstances to connect with this writer-director called Charlie Steeds, who is the head of this production company called Dark Temple, who make uh, indie British horror movies. Um, and I got cast as one of the leads in a film called A Werewolf in England, which is a, a horror comedy about uh, a group of characters who find themselves trapped inside this old, like, 19th century, 18th century, in which is then besieged by a tribe of werewolves who start picking their way through them and it's it's very violent and it's very you know it can be quite extreme and grotesque in certain ways but it is also very funny and it's farcical in a lot of what it does it's like I guess it's a bit like Scooby-Doo if it was directed by Tarantino or something like that yeah 
I was going to actually bring up Scooby-Doo because um, you've probably seen, but I do like a Scooby-Doo act. Yeah. Um, and at the end um, of one of the versions, because I've got different versions to fit like um, longer versions and shorter versions, but in the longer version that I performed at a show, I, at the end I did the quote, I would have gotten away if it wasn't for you meddling kids. And there's sort of like a satire between me and the villain. But um, with um, your characters in that, could you tell us a bit about your character and how you prepared for your character? This seems like a drama exam question, doesn't it? <laughs> Inside the actor's studio. Um, I played a character called Archie, who is a convict who's been transported across the country for a trial um, by this character called Horace, who is like the local parish councillor. Um, so they're handcuffed together. Archie is accused of killing someone, um, the son of a noble family. And his, um, his excuse, the reason that he did it, his story is that it's because the son was a werewolf and he was defending himself and he, 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 he killed him because he was a werewolf and he was trying to, to kill Archie. And of course, this is not washing with anybody. Um, and he's going to be executed for this crime. And then they end up staying in this inn for the night, which just so happens to be attacked, like I said, by all these werewolves. And slowly but surely, Archie is proven to be right and is a bit of an asset in terms of, of fighting back against this horde. And the relationship between him and the parish councillor, Horace, you know, they were sworn enemies at the beginning, but they grow to become mutual accomplices and then eventually even friends towards the end of the movie yeah I really like the dynamic between the two characters and the two actors um Archie and Horace and I was going to just talk about that a bit before we finish the the episode podcast but um so with that then um there's a lot of parody isn't there and there's like masculine energy between the two and I think yeah. it's done quite well in the way that sometimes when you can see that masculine energy and parody it can be quite offensive can't it um like you know like saying feminine qualities about each other like making fun of that but there's none of that and sometimes I like it in comedy where it can be funny but it doesn't have to be offensive um do you know so I was wondering if you could speak a bit about that like how did you sort of get that um you know when you were working together sort of the masculine sort of energy sort of dynamic between you both if you can remember <laughs> yeah I mean this is going this is going back uh, more than a, a couple of years now but uh I mean Tim who played Horace is an amazing actor and such a lovely guy it's so important when you're acting for me anyway that you get on so well with the people that you're sharing this the stage or the screen with because so much of it is there just, you know, it's just, it's chemistry and it's, it's play. That's what, that's what acting is. It's the chance to play off one another and, and pretend. Um, Horace is such a horrible character at the beginning of the movie. And he's written very cleverly to be, you know, this, he's derogatory towards women. He's chain smoker, heavy drinker throwing um, slurs out here, there and everywhere towards everyone imaginable. He has this incredibly low opinion of Archie, my character, and just can't wait to see him swinging at the end of a rope. And then what the movie does through putting this character through hell, basically, is it unpacks all of that. And we see him sort of broken down into his most vulnerable so all of that masculinity, that toxic masculinity, things that we associate with 
blokes and men is kind of is dismantled and then he has to sort of build himself back up again and align himself with these characters that he didn't like um and who doesn't trust and sees them as human beings and and peers colleagues as well uh, and eventually friends Archie is a bit different the character I was playing he's like the romantic lead as it were the romantic hero but he's a massive wimp he's he's so he's such a delicate little flower that's why I love him though because he's got he had a real strong he's got a really strong moral compass he's not strong physically at all um but he knows what's right and what's wrong and he will you know stand up for what he believes in as well so again he goes through hell and it's funny to watch him you know it's funny to watch these characters struggling through slapstick comedy especially um because it is it's just a subversion of of you know that film could be made as a as totally straight no pun intended totally straight serious horror movie and it would work but it's more interesting when it's subverting a lot of those stereotypes that we're used to seeing yeah and i think like all the work that you've done whether it's with acting in that film or with your um your drawing and your writing I think it's good that it touches on like satire and sort of it it sort of dismantles sort of um or sort of touches on like male stereotypes or fragile masculinity and I think comedy or satire can be a good way to do that um so I really enjoyed like um seeing your artwork whether it's film or drawing or writing um Mm. and um yeah I think that's that's mainly it really the only thing I ask for now is if you've got any takeaways for the the listeners like if you could say any advice whether it's to do with what we've talked about or as an artist or um yeah in terms of toxic masculinity or whatever you want to say I think it's really important and this is a lesson that I try and remember to myself all the time to just remain critical and silly and know that nothing, nothing is set in stone. If you're told that something is a fact, the only fact is that it's not. You know, everything can be questioned, everything can be played around with. And that's why we're here, I think, on this planet, is just to, to fool around. And it's so much more interesting when you take something that seems so two-dimensional, like gender or politics or sexuality, and then you turn it around and turn it inside out and you create so much more interesting things out of that. And I think every day you should be exploring and enjoying the world that we're in. I would like to thank Reese for coming on to this podcast. If you want to catch more of Reese then check out their Instagram handle in the episode description. I would also like to thank all of you lovely listeners for tuning into my podcast, especially Dominus, who left me an extremely heartfelt review. They said, A nothing short of brilliant podcast, covering a range of topics and perspectives from my diverse lineup, which keeps the podcast exciting, interesting and fresh, with a wonderful, friendly and educational host. I look forward to more episodes. If you do feel like leaving a review, please do so. Thank you for listening to Loxlaroo's Locker Room. And make sure to follow me on Instagram at Loxlaroo. Bye.
my mum's a hairdresser, you know. (laughs) 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 It was almost guaranteed that one of the two of her children would be would be queer. So here I am. So you didn't have like the horrible um, bowl cut that most parents would do for their kids if they didn't know how to cut hair. You probably had a quite stylish (laughs) haircut. (laughs) 